Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. I'm Matt Spiegel, honored to be sitting alongside the great Ron Coomer to take you through today's ball game. Coom, let's have some fun. First pitch from Anderson is hammered to deep left from Almora. That one is gone. Good vibes, Ben. So there you go, Speak. See, you were just talking in between innings. A little, not a lot of action. And see, there you go. How's life? Could it be much better? Right. World Series champs. I'm calling games at Wrigley. It's my hometown team. Pretty good. Let's meet the coaches and reserves from the American League All-Stars. From the Minnesota Twins, infielder Ron Coomer. The payoff is lined to deep left. That ball is high. That is far. It is gone. What a first at bat as a Yankee. Ron Coomer drills a high line drive, and the Yankees take a 1 nothing lead. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel Sunday mornings on the score. Uh, he's the goods. Could not have asked for a better guy to sit next to as I called my first ever baseball game this year, this spring, out in Mesa. It feels like a decade ago, Ron Coomer, doesn't it? A lot has gone on since then. And a lot has gone on in that uh, little piece you guys put together. There's been a lot of gray hairs going on between the start <laughs> of that and and the current time. Yeah, that was very nice of you guys. But you did a great job. We had a lot of fun, didn't we, in spring training yeah, in, we did. in Mesa? And it does seem like about two seasons ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does, man. It's, it, it's crazy. But, yeah, it was great to hear you getting a, a, the, the all-star intro there and a, and a homer at Yankee Stadium. It's, it's a life in baseball that folks have heard a lot about, that I have loved to learn about. And, and where does what's going on this year rank in terms of oddness, <laughs> the weirdness? Winner, <laughs> winner, winner by far. number one, right? Yeah, there's a, yeah by 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 about a hundred lengths. It's <laughs> horse racing term. Yeah, there's nothing close. Yep. You know, it is what it is, right? Our whole world is going through these these crazy and difficult times with a lot of different things, and I've always felt from the beginning of the COVID situation that if we could get back on the field, this this sports world that we live in can be a, can be a, a help. And I still believe that, although we're running into some issues now, you know, and, you know, some of these young guys that play, they're human and they, they make some mistakes. And um, I think the Marlins are, are feeling the effects of that right now as was listening to your show just a little while ago. And, you know, it's tough. It's very tough. David Ross said it correctly. This is a very difficult time and everybody is trying to do their very best. And, 
you know, I tip my hat to the Cubs organization because they've done exceptional. They really have from the players, the front office, Mr. Ricketts and doing everything here in the upstairs with Crane to make sure everybody feels safe. But my gosh, this is just something that's bizarre, right? Who who would have ever guessed this? No, it's crazy. And and to your point about about the Cubs, we have this news from David Ross moments ago that Chris Bryant took a coronavirus test. It came back negative. Um, But just with that stomach ache, they sent him home yesterday and he remains home. Uh, is it following the MLB protocols? So, you know, so, so Bryant out of the lineup again, but no positive test for any player or coach. I mean, Tommy Hadovy dealt with it and and it was awful for him during the shutdown. Mike mm-hmm. Napoli dealt with it, but otherwise it's been it's been very clean in that regard and certainly certainly is commendable. That is that's that's for sure. I got to tell you, Ron, I know you said that you thought baseball could be a help. Um, it has been mentally and emotionally for me and millions of others. And to hear you guys, to hear the broadcast, just to be able, I, I dude, just to sit on my balcony with a beverage and listen to you <laughs> and, and, and Pat and Zach doing the games is just a level of comfort that I needed more than I even realized I did. So it, it's been wonderful. Has it, has it been fun to do the games as yes. well? Spigs, you know, this is this is where I grew up. I grew up at a ballpark from the time I was a little kid. So, you know, to come to the park and do do our job is is as comforting for you being on your deck as it is for me. This is where, you know, the only thing I can't do is have that beverage with you and a nice cigar. That's the only thing I can't do. But other than that, we're hanging out here at the ballpark and having a great time. Um, we can do that after the game. But right now, you know, I'm getting ready for another Cubs game, and it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it, this. Let's talk about this offense, Ron. What, what do you What do you see? I know what I see, and I've talked about it a, a, a lot. But what do you see with this offense that right now is number one in all of baseball in OPS, second in OBP? Um, number one in OPS, this offense as, a, as an entirety is, is doing so well. What do you see? Well, I, I, see, I see a group of guys that were a little embarrassed in the way that things went in 18 and then really in 19. And you got a core group of people who won a World Series. And I told you this when we were going to broadcast the Cubs game in, in Mesa. This group has an edge to them, and they are going to be a good group, and they're going to play well. And they have come out here, even with all the distractions for everybody in baseball, and they've come out and played well. And the offense has taken it on themselves, knowing that there's some shortcomings with this team, and said, we have to dominate the game, and they have dominated the game from the top of the lineup to the bottom of the lineup. Everybody's contributed, and they have taken that on. And I also think the starting pitchers, which is a little more of a veteran crew than the bullpen guys have taken that on also, and they have dominated. Hmm. I, w- what I'm seeing with this offense, Ron, is just a level of attention and intensity, seemingly every pitch and every at-bat, mm-hmm. and, and a willingness to pass it on to the, to the next guy. And that's how hard is that to do as, is- as a hitter? It can be very difficult at times, and sometimes it's just not in your DNA, right? And mm-hmm. for me, that was very difficult as a hitter. I, I was ready to swing the bat, and this is no lie. It's not even. It's funny, but it's not joking. From the time I stepped in the on deck circle, I was ready to hit, and that meant swing. I wasn't there to take. I was there to swing, and that's that's the one thing that, 
for some guys, like a Nico Horner who's just coming into the league. Mm. He swings the bat. He's looking to swing. He's not looking to take. Um, Chris Bryant has been a different hitter. He's a great hitter, but different DNA. He's very patient. Same thing with Anthony, and they do a good job of taking pitches. Everybody's DNA is a little different. This lineup, though, is very well-rounded. You've got power, obviously. You've got guys like Caratini, Horner, and some other guys that put the ball in play and move the ball around. And the other thing, I really believe there's a focus going on with this group of not punching out. That is a big thing. When you put the ball in play, good things can happen. When you don't punch out, let's say you punch out 10, 12, 14 times in a game, which we've seen the last few years, not a lot of good things happen when you're walking back to the dugout. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. And, you know, I, I don't – we need to talk about how it's changed and it's different, but it's not a slight on Joe Madden at all when I talk about this. And I, I know that some people hear that. I, I, I want to play for you and for the listeners. This is Joe Madden last year in September – bemoaning what was a slumping team at the time and offensively they weren't getting it done at all it was they were they were impatient and what was going on this is joe madden on the score last september okay coom yep it's approach based i'm not going to denigrate anybody we just got done beating the gromps and the garden stroman in new york with great approach and then you come back home and um we don't have the same approach against these other pitchers and it really comes down the approach that's that's a, a broad word it really comes down to organization of strike zone. It's the ability to uh, not want to fire on pitches out of the zone. It's the ability to be willing to accept your walk. Uh, your dad used to tell you walk is as good as a hit. There's sometimes I prefer the hit, but when when a pitcher doesn't want to throw the ball with the play, we have to be better at not offering. So, and that's what mm-hmm. Joe wanted, and that's what they did well when they were rolling under Joe. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of they just kind of lost it a little bit in that 18 and 19. So, is this now the effect of the humbling that you mentioned? Kind of, they got angry at the way that it went, and a different voice. They see that you know the manager had, loses his job, maybe because of some of their their mistakes and, and their failings. I, I try to put my finger on exactly what has changed and how we got to here as opposed to where we were last September. Well, you think about it. There's been, since I've been here, three or four hitting coaches yep. that have been here. Those, those are real changes. You see a manager who you just played for who won a World Series with you and sip champagne and, and life. You're at the top of the world just a few years ago, and he gets fired. And you can say maybe it's because of what you did. No, it's exactly related to what you did on the field. If the Cubs won their division and went deep into the playoffs and went to the World Series a couple more times, whether they won it or lost it, there's no changes. That just doesn't happen in our game. So it is what it is. And you know what? That's human nature. And some of that, in Joe's statement now, there's some integral parts of that you got star players on the Chicago Cubs playing other star players in New York, playing in a high-profile games, and our guys rose to the occasion. Sometimes I think they play down to their level of competition, and that costs them a lot. And that goes back to a little bit of mental focus and understanding you just got to beat these teams that you're supposed to beat. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it is na- natural. It is human nature, and we want these guys to be robots, but they're just – they're not, so it's 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 somewhat understandable when when things like that that happen. It's um it, it but you really have is, to do it. I mean that's yeah. the job. It is what it is. You have to bring it every day. 
This this is not a job. This is a performance-based job to the max when you're playing big league sports. And it's just the way it is. And you get you get great accolade when things go well. And you know what? You feel the pain when, when, you, do, when you don't do it right. And that's okay. That's what we signed up for. Yeah, it's, and it's that constant level of intensity. It's every pitch. And, and I got to tell you, I, I can hear them now. And we can all hear them in ways that we couldn't because there are no fans and, and the, 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 the created noise, which I think is working well, by the way, on the radio and the TV, is, is, is yeah, not so loud. But it's not so loud that you can't hear it. We can hear how active and alive that dugout is for every single pitch because you got to be mindful for every single pitch. Um, do they do it for the pitchers? To yes. Ron, like the yes. level of intensity as you're watching Tyler Chatwood work a count and try to do it. Are they all locked in every pitch yeah. there as well? Yes, they are. And and I really, you know what, this is some foresight on David Ross's part. I, I think they, he really put some thought into how this was going to play out once you take the field. And was the ballpark going to be a mausoleum and just empty and feeling dead and no energy? Or were you going to bring the energy and how are you going to do that? He did that in the dugout. He set some some guidelines and some things that they were going to try to do. And he told me, and he said, we're going to do this, and we're going to win this, and we're going to win that, and that's going to help us. And I'm telling you, they have. And, and I'm, you know, that's just great, great foresight and, and great leadership by David Ross. Let's talk about Tyler Chatwood. Um, I'm really happy for him, and it seems that he has figured something out with that cutter. That, that's now going sideways more than it ever was before. He changed the grip, and now it's like, man, you're watching, and that cutter might go left or the sinker might go a little bit right. Does He's going side to side and just just completely in command last night from start even to finish. A little angry when he walked Gregory Polanco and had to go out, but my God, he's, he looks like a very different guy, Ron. But good, right? He was angry. He yep. didn't get the final punch out or didn't get the final out of that inning. Good for him. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. You, you're right. I couldn't be happier for him. And he's one of those guys that, you know, when he throws strikes and has command of his of his fastball, he is really tough to hit because of the movement he has on all of his pitches. And as David Ross talks about coming out of certain lanes and then the ball going opposite directions hard, very difficult to hit. And he has been... You know, he's been very, very good. A lot of bad swings and weak contact, and you're right. He's a good dude, and he's battled through this tough time that he's had early with the Cubs. Fixed it. He fixed it, and that's <laughs> that's looking in the mirror. He fixed it. That's pretty good. We've got a lineup for today um, behind John Lester. Before we get to the lineup, um, Lester was real good, both in the exhibition start against the Sox and then in his first start. What's he doing? What's he doing now to uh, to be as effective as as he can be with where the stuff is and where that arm is these days? I think what Johnny has done, Spigs, and that's a great way to describe um, Johnny. What his stuff is now is not the same stuff that he had in 2016 and in 15. You know, his fastball has like every player that gets into your mid 30s. There are parts of your game that change. Johnny doesn't have that 95 to 96 mile an hour fastball. He can reach back and go grab when he needs to blow a guy away. So he had one punch out. He had one walk in his last start. He's pitching a little more to contact. He's throwing more off-speed pitches early in the game, which really gives a hitter a a different look regularly because all the righties are accountable to his cutter inside. They have to be. And I, I just really, you know, you got to tip your hat to John that he's 
He's figured out what it's going to take for him to be extremely successful still at 36 as opposed to 30 years old or 31 when he came here and, and had the blazing fastball. Hmm. Boy, I feel like that's the challenge for Kimbrell is, is that realization of, all right, my stuff has changed. Now I have to, I have to mix it up. I got to go with more deception I, or more I'll, I'll messing with the timing. I watched Kimbrell throw, and I've watched him very closely. And every chance yeah. I get, I really pay close attention to what he's doing. For me, I think he's having a very difficult time once the game gets started and the juices get going of getting on top of the baseball. His arm slot, I watched him, and I, Zach and I and Pat were sitting in the booth for a long time during the rain delay. He was, he was on top of the baseball. We had a camera shot of the Cubs bullpen, and he was on top of the baseball with an arm slot up higher, throwing his bullpen in Cincy during the rain delay. And I mm-hmm. think when he gets into the game, that arm slot comes down a little bit, and his pitches stay flatter, and it's, it's just much easier for the hitters to hit as opposed to getting a little more downhill with the fastball and breaking ball. And I'm mm. telling you, it sounds like a very easy fix. It is not. The adrenaline rush, and David talks about being rotational, the adrenaline rush, you feel like you're doing it, but it's not happening. From your eyesight, you see it's not happening, but he feels like it does. It's a tough fix. But if he can get on top more and get more downhill with that heater, you're still throwing 97. I mean, he he threw some blazing heaters the other day. Yeah, but they were all they were all down in the zone, which and was flat. a little troubling right. to, to me. Yeah. And, and they and they didn't have what you're talking about, which is that that ride, that carry where it where it looks like it's rising a little bit. That's what made him so special. You think if he gets on top of it, then he can get that movement back on well, it. What you do is you change you change eye levels. If you if you're throwing downhill, so if the ball's coming on the same plane as the hitter, and you see that. That's mm-hmm. easier to hit. But if a guy gets on top of it and it's coming on a downward plane, now you got to come you got to be on that pitch down. And then when you throw the high one, the hitter's already thinking I got to cover down and then when you try to cover the ball up with that fastball that you say is riding, you can't yeah. cover both of them. You just can't you get a lot of swing and miss. See, it, it's interesting. So I've been of the thought process around that he needs kind of a a reinvention that he needs to mix in that change up and kind of think about it differently. You think they're just trying to get him back to where he was and they I think it's a mechanical. Think they might be able to. I do. I think it's a mechanical for hmm. him. I, I, I see same plane pitches, you know, and not changing any eye levels and not going downhill as a hitter. I'm just talking out of hitters perspective. Yeah. Right? yeah. Knowing pitching and not, I just look at pitchers and how would you attack them? That's how I look at the game. And that's what I see. No, very, very interesting. And you certainly know the game better than me. That's for damn sure. The, uh, um, here's, here's the lineup. Um, David Bodie leading off. He's, he's been, he's been hitting the hell out of the ball. He, he wouldn't, he wouldn't qualify right now through just eight games. But uh, it, if, if he did, he'd be right there at the top with an OPS of like 1.375. So, yeah. What, what do you see from Bodie this year as the lead off with him today? Well, it, it's fun, right? I mean, what you're seeing is yeah. a guy that wants to play more. And, you know, and you got a young kid like Horner who's come in and taken at-bats and is playing second base. And, and I, I see Bodie, and now we've got great competition amongst the guys, right? If you yes. keep playing well, you're going to keep playing, and you force your way into the lineup. It's a great problem to have for David Ross of trying to figure out who you're going to put in the lineup because they're all doing well. 
it's great. And I, I think David has taken it upon himself to be prepared to play every day. You can have two of them in against the lefty Stephen Brault of, of the mm -hmm. Phillies. So you got Bodie at third and Horner at second. But yeah, to your point, Cubs second baseman, Kipnis, Horner, Bodie, number one in the National League and on base percentage and slugging and OPS. Who would have thunk it? They're the best at that position in the National League right now. Yeah, I mean that, that was that was a a spot last year that struggled, and now this year it's it's you know a major a major point in the lineup that has done serious damage how's the corner how's how's coombs corner holding up during this uh this awkward time Ron? we are surviving we are doing our our damnedest to stay social distanced we have a lot of outdoor seating we we're still doing a little live music but we're making sure that people sit at tables and we've kept everybody apart so it's been good we've had really great support from our community out that way so you know I just thank everybody because you're a neighborhood place, right? And, and our neighborhood needed uh, an outlet. We've got it, and but we've tried to keep everybody safe, including my employees, and it's worked out pretty well. So thanks. I appreciate it, Manny. You got it, man. Coom, thanks for the time. Appreciate you. We'll be listening, as we always, always do. Always good, brother. Great to talk to you. You too. That's Ron Coomer of the Cubs broadcast team. Cubs baseball coming up at 1220 with Zach Zabin doing the pregame right here on 670 The Score. Chris Kampka coming up at 1140. And before we get there, a moment last night, um, two at-bats back-to-back from one of the new players in town and then the guy who you hope he will evolve to become. Saw them in two at-bats back-to-back last night. We'll talk about it next on 670 The Score. I'd have walked away from baseball and I'd have bought a farm. Yeah. Nothing like a farm. Nothing like being around animals. Fix the thing. There's nothing like being in the field by yourself with the vegetables and the corn and the winter wheat. Green stuff you ever saw. You know, my mother told me I ought to be a farmer. My dad wanted me to be a baseball player. Well, you're better than anyone I ever had. And you're the best hitter I ever saw. Shoot up. That is Wilford Brimley and Robert Redford in The Natural. Rest in peace to Wilford Brimley, who was really good as the manager in that movie, and good in a lot of movies, right? He was great in Cocoon. I had forgotten about him in The China Syndrome. You guys ever see The China Syndrome? Michael Douglas and the the nuclear power plant troubles. Wilford Brimley's in that. And The Firm. He's scary in The Firm. With Tom Cruise. And maybe you remember him for Quaker Oats and for his Liberty Medical commercials where he talked about diabetes. But it's a hell of a run for uh, the late now Wilford Brimley, who does fall into the category, I must admit, of people who I said, oh, wow, he was still alive? And he died. Oh, gosh. Rest in peace, Wilfred Brimley. Great career. It's 670 The Score. It is hit and run. The Score's venerable baseball show on a Sunday morning. The Cubs baseball coming up at 1220. I mentioned that their lineup was out. David Bodie leading off. Kyle Schwarber uh, batting fifth in left. It's Rizzo, Baez, and Contreras between. Then it's Steven Souza Jr. in right field against the lefty. Josh Fegley gets a start at DH. Nico Horner at second. And Albert Almora in center field. A heavily right-handed lineup for David Ross and John Lester. For the White Sox, there's no Lurie Garcia 
because he's uh, got some personal time that he's taking, apparently a loss in the family, a death in the family for Lurie Garcia. So he is away from the team. Uh, their lineup looks real good in the top five. Robert, Moncada, Abreu, Grandal, Encarnacion, and Eloy Jimenez at number six. And then it gets interesting, seven, eight, and nine. Nicky Delmonico in right field. Uh, Danny Mendick at short, Nick Madrigal at second. So Mendick plays short in the absence of both Tim Anderson and Lurie Garcia. And Delmonico is out there in right field. Um, Madrigal has had an interesting couple of days here. There was a moment last night where he had an opportunity to get his first run batted in. Bases loaded and one out for Nick Madrigal. And he's up. It is the bot or the top of the third inning for Madrigal. And he takes the first pitch and swings at it. It's an inside pitch tailing towards him. Swing, double play on an easy grounder right up the middle. Slow grounder. 6-3 unassisted. Angry Nick Madrigal. I think he threw his helmet after he crossed first. A um, little bit of situational anxiety for a guy who usually works account well and makes contact and hits it hard. That's his M.O. You compare his at-bat to a guy who came up the very next at-bat. He let off the bottom of the third, and that's Whit Merrifield, who really needs to be thought of as one of the better players in baseball. He led the American League in hits each of the last two years. He's off to a tremendous start right now. And Steve Stone has mentioned him as a possible comp, that you dream of Nick Madrigal turning into Whit Merrifield. Well, it's not going to happen right away, and it's not happening right away. Merrifield's at bat in the bottom of the third, the very next at bat. He worked that count. Sixth pitch of the at bat from Gio Gonzalez. He gets a ball that's out over the plate. He had seen Gio throw everything, took his time, made sure he timed it up, saw all the variety, and it's a fastball out over the plate. He extends his arms and hits it sharp, a laser beam to center for a single. Merrifield is a pest and a very accomplished hitter who, it, who will see pitches and hurt you. And Madrigal has to learn to do that more consistently. It'll take time. But if you want to dream of him becoming with Merrifield, it's possible. But it's not going to happen right away. In fact, Gio Gonzalez uh, left the game in the bottom of the fourth because he was about to face Merrifield for the third time, and Merrifield was two for two against him with, with uh, men on base again right there. So Jimmy Cordero comes in, and Merrifield battles him before eventually popping out on pitch number five. He had a two-run homer later. He's off to a tremendous, tremendous start, is Whit Merrifield. So it's a good thing for Nick Madrigal to aspire towards. That is for sure. He had an eventful first time around the big league bases the other night on Friday night, reached on an error out at home on the Larry Garcia single, a terrific throw by Alex Gordon. These are learning experiences um, for that kid. I'm glad he's here to learn now. That's for sure.
670 the score is where you are. What else can you tell me, Sean Anderson, from the news as it's been coming in? David Ross has been talking. Ricky Renteria has been talking in their pregame Zooms as both teams will go with afternoon starts uh, coming up uh, in the 1 o'clock hour. Yeah, I, the biggest thing from the Cubs that you uh, already covered with Coombe was Chris Bryant and his positive t- or, uh, his negative test uh, that, that, that he took. He's still going to be out of the lineup, like you said, and then Rick Renteria with uh, Le- Leary Garcia being out. Uh, other than that, no major news coming from Rick Renteria or uh, David Ross today. All right, Nomar Mazzara. Do we have an update on Nomar Mazzara just yet? Well, the update is that there will be an update. Uh, so ah, yes. t- today there will be an update on Nomar Mazzara. So there was an update on the update. Got you. Um, the Cubs had a roster move today. James Norwood, the relief pitcher, placed on the 10-day injured list with right shoulder inflammation that is retroactive to the 30th of July because they activated a left-handed pitcher. Justin Steele is making his first ever major league roster today, whereas number 35 will be available this afternoon. And that is a fifth round pick in 2014 out of high school who has been a starter at times. Um, I think he's been mostly a starter, but now he is a reliever. And instead of being a three-pitch or sometimes four-pitch starting pitcher, he will be a two-pitch reliever with a fastball in the mid-90s and a curveball. And we'll see. They need a lefty, that's for sure. Brad Wick on the injured list. Kyle Ryan ineffective last night and velocity way down. Rex Brothers uh, was not effective the other night. So the six-foot-two-inch Justin Steele shows up today for the Cubs. Uh, Top of the hour. You will uh, hear a delightful moment from last night's marquee broadcast with Len Casper and Jim Deshays. A couple of great plays around baseball that just have me reveling and having it back in the first place from two tremendous all-around players, much more known for their offense. We'll talk about that a little bit and more as we lead you up towards Cubs pregame at about 1220 here on The Score. When we come back next, though, our guy Chris Kamka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. I know he's got stuff on the most exciting guy in town, maybe the most exciting guy in all of Major League Baseball right now, and that is saying something. We'll do that next right here on Hit and Run on The Score. Time to get ourselves connected with our man, Chris Kampka. He is the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago, who's back at work today with a child at home and back at work today with baseball. I mean, you've been working, but like you're actually physically out working somewhere, aren't you, Chris Kampka? Yeah, I'm actually at Guaranteed Rate Field in the truck truck bay when there's no game today which is always something to get used to but um yeah we're um we do the games from here of course in the truck um so it's interesting and but it's great to be back first and foremost it's great to be doing this again um you know keeping an eye on the game seeing something develop and getting it on the air it's um it's a rush it's great yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you, you'll you'll watch the game, see something develop, and then think about how to statistically hunt it down. That's part of your gig. Yes, yes, oh. on the fly, the way I like it. Come on, come on, man. That's 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 fabulous, isn't it? I mean, a boy a boy could dream of working in baseball like that. As you yeah, you're not did. kidding. You're not kidding. Yeah. I mean, I'm watching the games, all these games as a kid, and now I'm 
part of making them happen. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's it's amazing. It's uh, hard to believe that it's actually true, but I got lucky. What can I say? Well, yeah, well, you're you're real good and you're real passionate and you're real fun to work with. So fully deserved. Um, I I imagine that it's fun to work with Luis Robert as well. Uh, Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez were having so much fun in that double Zoom last night, just yucking it up as they were talking about almost hitting for the cycle. And Eloy said that he told Robert he needed a triple. And Robert said, oh, why are you telling me that, man? I just wanted wanted to hit the ball on the barrel. Now I'm going to think about triple. And Eloy goes, well, just hit it on the barrel and then make it a triple. That's all. It's just that easy. And maybe it would be that easy for Luis Robert. He is is outrageous, and I'm sure you're enjoying him as much as anyone, Chris. Oh, yeah. I mean, last night was only the 24th time in White Sox history that a leadoff hitter had nine total bases, and it was – Robert's first game is leadoff. I mean, you know, no big deal. He was the only, he's the only the second player in White Sox history with four or more hits in his first career start at leadoff. Good luck naming the other one. No, yeah, no chance. No chance. All right. Marcus Simeon. Wow. April 20th, 19, or April 20th, 2014. Wow. That's yeah, I would have never guessed. Yeah. yeah, and furthermore, it's only the third time in White Sox history that a pair of teammates, 23 or younger, had four or more hits in the game. And this is a fun list, too. Um, Semyon again. Semyon and Avi Garcia did it April 8, 2014. Give me the um, parameters again. G- give me the parameters again. Teammates, sure. 20, 23 years two, or younger? What were th- Yeah, two White Sox players, 23 or younger, both with four hits in the same game. Hmm. So, again, Simeon and Garcia, Avi Garcia, on April 8, 2014. That's the second time. First time it ever happened was April 20th, 1980. Harold Baines and Harry Chappis. Wow. Wow. And then, of course, everyone out there, if you don't remember who Harry Chappis is, I mean, I was was in diapers. Um, He was a shortstop. Listed at 5'3", even though he was probably closer to 5'7". Um, and he was usually on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And it didn't quite pan out. Um, Not quite. But still fun to talk about. Yeah. Uh, that's, and then, of course, uh, yesterday, August yep. 1st, 2020, Luis Robert Eloy Menes. Uh, amazing. Amazing. And, and there they are coming up together and being a part of things together. Luis Robert... As a leadoff guy, six times he came to the plate, went four for six, three extra base hits, as you know, saw a total of 10 pitches, Chris. 10 pitches in six times at the plate. 10 pitches, nine total bases. That's a pretty good ratio, isn't it? <laughs> that, is, that is a pretty darn good ratio uh, right there. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, it, it's pretty amazing. But, you know, Tim Anderson is not a leadoff hitter who walks a lot, walked 16 times last year. So he's I mean, not yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he had a one-to-one ratio of walks in three hit games. So there, there's another fun ratio you wouldn't see every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But while we're on the topic of debuts, let's talk about a couple of those. So okay. my favorite nugget from the Nick Madrigal debut earlier this week is that Nick Madrigal, uh, wearing number one, a second baseman, hitting ninth in the order, in his first major league plate appearances, grounded out to Nicky Lopez, we're number one, second baseman, batting ninth in the Royals. So, 
Um, two guys, same name, same number, same position, same batting order. Mm. Um, so that was fun. Uh, he'll get his hits. Just uh, today. Today is going to be that day where he gets his first hit. Mark it down. Okay. And Mark, Mark, marking a, it down. A momentous mm-hmm. occasion because it's the 30th anniversary of Frank Thomas's Major League debut, August 2nd, 1990. Now, a fun note about that is it wasn't only Frank Thomas's Major League debut in the game one of that doubleheader at Milwaukee 30 years ago today. It was also the Major League debut of Alex Fernandez. Now, consider the prospect craze that we live in today. And, you know, we love prospects. That's the number one, um, the number one pick from 1989 and the number one pick from 1990. Consecutive drafts, first-round pick for the White Sox, both debuting in the same game. I mean, think about that. The way we address that today, that would be crazy. But yes. that's what happened back 30 years ago today. Thomas didn't get a hit, but he did get an RBI wearing number 15. Hmm. I, I, I had forgotten. How, how long did he wear 15, did Frank Thomas? It was only briefly. I, maybe maybe a week or so. Um, by the end of the year, it was 35. But, yeah, number 15. Wow. Yeah, no, they, they would spread those out now. You don't, because especially if you're trying to sell tickets or generate interest, like we go, we go crazy for the, for the new guys. That is, that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. That's, that's 30 years ago today. Tremendous. And uh, well, of course on the road too. I mean, normally you have a team wait till you get home. Yeah. Bring up a new guy. Sure. So yeah, Milwaukee though. So 30 years ago today. And um, yeah, so White Sox Royals today. <clears throat> going to be a good one um hopefully we'll see what Luis robert can do again today after that four hit performance out of the leadoff spot and you know what he's scary good i mean yeah we i mean it was amazing 115.8 off the bat his first pitch he ever saw and but wait there's more and we'll who knows what's next i'm excited to see it there you go uh chris kampka congrats again on the birth of young mateo enjoy yourself at work today and beyond and thanks for the time as always man you're the best all right thank you Thank you. It's Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. Um, we talked about Luis Robert a, a bunch earlier in the show, but I want to reiterate this fact about that StatCast revealed the, the list of players who are in the 75th percentile of exit velocity, hitting the ball hard with consistency, and sprint speed, running straight running around the bases or running towards a fly ball, straight sprint speed in the 75th percentile of that. Here's the list of that of those players from last year. Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna Jr., Christian Yelich, Shohei Otani, Bryce Harper, Javier Baez, Cody Bellinger, and Trevor Story of the Rockies. So far this year, Luis Robert is in the 75th percentile of guys who both hit the ball that hard and run that fast. That's the kind of athleticism we're talking about. And now he's leading off, and he's leading off again today. Now the cap is off that bottle. First time out, he gets four hits, three for extra bases. Renteria is going to be criticized every time he doesn't have Luis Robert in the leadoff hole from now on. He's, he's always criticized for lineups, sometimes very understandably. I was with people last week on it as we were talking about some of the specifics of the lineup then. Right now, today, I don't have as big a problem um, with it. I, I, I don't mind Delmonico getting in there every once in a while against, uh, against a righty. I, I, I don't mind that. And because um, I think Delmonico has done a, 
a, a nice job of kind of rebuilding himself and he gets a chance there. And then Danny Mendick, you have to play just because you have to play him. Right now, there is no Larry Garcia away from the team for personal reasons. All right, so among the best athletes in all of baseball, among the best players in all of baseball, is the newly minted big money right fielder for the Dodgers. And this week, two highlights. We'll talk a lot of Cubs in a couple of minutes here, and certainly at the top of the hour, leading up towards the um, the Cubs and um, the Cubs and the Pirates today from Wrigley Field, John Lester against Stephen Brawl. But I wanted to, to give you this. Mookie Betts is terrific at the plate. He's terrific running the bases, and he's phenomenal in right field. And here was uh, a, a grounder, a ground ball single down the right field line. And Mookie Betts dealing with a guy. Was it was trying for third or was he going for the triple on it? Now I'm mixing myself up. Let's just play the play, and we'll talk about it after. This is Mookie Betts from Friday Day. That's a broken bat flare down the line to right and sinks in there for Marte. Bets over to dig it out. Marte headed to second. He's going to try for three. Mookie's throw right on the money. Oh, Mookie. On the fly to Justin Turner, who drops the tag down for the first out and a thrilling one at that. Well, at this point, Tony Gonsolin is probably thinking, this place is haunted for me. They didn't hit the ball that hard in the debut when he gave up the four in the first, and this is not hit that well either. Shatters the bat. Watch Mookie round the ball in right field. Marte flying that way, and Mookie rounded it off so well. And boy, what an arm, an accurate arm, reminding you a little bit of Yasiel Puig. Absolutely. Um, an incredible throw from deep in the right field corner for Mookie Betts to get Kettle Marte trying to st- stretch a double into a triple. Mookie Betts came up as an infielder, second baseman at first, and still apparently takes infield practice because he thinks it'll keep him prepared if he ever is going to need to play the infield. And he also thinks it makes him better when he's fielding hits that make their way into right field. And if you watch that, he gets his body in the right position as he's fielding the ball. And it is a difficult thing to do consistently. And you'll see a lot of outfielders not do that, but Mookie Betts is terrific at it. Gets himself in the right body position so he can immediately transition to making a throw with his body, his feet, and his weight in the right place. So Mookie, great hitter, great player, all-around great fielder. Great hitter, Nolan Arenado is a better fielder than he is a hitter. He did this yesterday. Basically 20% of the pitches now are sliders, and that's a, the highest number we've ever seen. So all these numbers are showing people are throwing Did he more catch that? Hit. Oh, man. <laughs> Help him up. He got it. Help him up. That. He did. He got it. That is one of his all-time plays in terms of catching foul pops. Not, not to be better than the one in he San had in the tarp in yeah, San Francisco. San Francisco. But, but this ain't far behind. He ran about half a mile. That's Nolan Arenado turning around, running pretty much straight back, and then about five or ten feet into foul territory and diving and making the catch, obviously with the glove hand extended as he goes down. Just an unbelievable play from a guy who is, I'm telling you, he's a great hitter with in tremendous consistency and power. But that dude is a better fielder than he is a hitter. 
And I'll always think about how he was the shortstop in high school in California. And a couple years, as he was a senior, the freshman, who eventually became the shortstop there at that high school in California, was Matt Chapman of the Oakland A's. And those are your two gold glove winners last year at third base in all of baseball were two guys who were high school teammates. I am a sucker for that kind of stuff and always will be. We know Lucas Giolito and Max Freed and uh, Jack Flaherty were all teammates in high school as pitchers, which is pretty amazing to think about. There's a Cubs one of those that maybe you've forgotten that ties in directly to a guy who's been an incredibly pleasant surprise for them. I'll give you uh, one of the incredible surprises so far for the Cubs and his high school teammate who is now his teammate again with the Cubs. Maybe you're not hip to that. We'll share it next as we talk about that guy and the Cubs start in general leading up to Cubs pregame at 1220 with Zach Zabin. That's right here on 670 The Score. A Newman off. I'll go first. Randy. Alfred E. Figured you'd do that. Gary. Gary. How Gary about Newman. Cars. Oh. 1980s hit. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Sunday mornings on The Score. I got you, Len Casper. I got you, Gary Newman, right here. I liked it. This is uh, one of uh, young Ruben Spiegel's favorite songs. Cars by Gary Newman. As uh, Newman, every time Jim Deshays says the name Newman for the Pirates, it has that disgusted tone that Jerry Seinfeld used to address the mailman with. Hello, Hello, Newman. Oh, yes, exactly. Deshays can't get away from it, and I understand why. It is hit and run this afternoon right here on 670. The score Cubs and Pirates coming up in about 20 minutes. Um, Tremendous uh, stuff statistically and informationally coming lately on that broadcast with Len and Jim on Marquee. The weather applied metrics watching that last night, seeing how many feet the wind is pushing the fly balls in. Would they, should a fly ball be hit right then? At one point, the wind would have pushed a fly ball to center field 18 feet in, whereas the fly ball to left center was only like three or four feet in, at least according to the weather applied metrics. Think about that. That is so much more information than wind is uh, going north to northeast three miles an hour and the flags are blowing in. Flags are blowing in is not enough information. And for decades, people have been trying to figure out the wind patterns at Wrigley Field. Do you play one lineup when the wind's blowing in, one lineup when the wind's blowing out? Or do you just play your guys and just let them do their thing? But your pitchers need to think about it as well when the wind is going in, when the wind is going out. So if if that is a glimpse at what the organization itself has, it's pretty darn useful. It's pretty cool to see that kind of stuff. Also, uh, Marquis the other night gave us this stat. On you, Darvish, which um, my guy Sean Anderson pulled. Because you, Darvish, said that he feels as good as he did in the second half last year. He, making his second start the other night, said he felt as good as he did in the second half. And you know he was incredible in the second half last year. This has uh, continued through the first couple of starts. So in the second half last year, well, since July 1st, 
last year through these first eight games or so. This is the strikeout to walk ratio for pitchers around baseball. Number five is Jacob deGrom. Number four is Garrett Cole. Number three is Shane Bieber, who has, what do you have, 27 strikeouts already through two starts for Shane Bieber, the Cleveland Indians. Number two is Justin Verlander, who is now, of course, injured. And number one is Yu Darvish, but it's the amount by which he's number one. Justin Verlander has a 9.41 strikeout-to-walk ratio since July 1st of last year. Yu Darvish is more than nine strikeouts above that. 18.43 is the strikeout-to-walk ratio for Yu Darvish <laughs> since July 1st last year. Just absolutely outrageous. The guy who uh, a lot of people are talking about, though, in that Cubs rotation right now because of what he did last night is Tyler Chatwood, who was absolutely brilliant last night. 11 strikeouts, got 20 swinging strikes in complete command all night long. Leadoff double, got out of it right away, and just has been phenomenal. He changed the grip on his slider about a year ago on the cut fastball, I should say, and went to the slider grip as he throws the cut fastball with a little more velocity than the slider. But that's why a lot of people think of those pitches as the same thing. Now it is just absolutely filthy. And Jordan Bastian goes into great detail on MLB.com with a chart, a horizontal movement chart that shows you just how much that pitch is moving right now for Tyler Chatwood, just how filthy it is. And you can see it as you watch. The the cut fastball is the one that, as you're watching on your screen, it goes from right to left. It comes back towards a left-handed hitter, goes away from a right-handed hitter. And his normal fastball, which has a sink on it, the two-seam fastball, which has some sink, goes a little bit to the right, inside on the right-handed hitter, away from the left-handed hitter. And they look exactly the same. So imagine being a hitter and expecting a ball to go a little bit left, and it goes instead a lot right. And it's a couple miles per hour slower. It's very confusing, very difficult. And you add in that really good curveball, which he has great command of right now, and you've got a very different guy. You've got a guy who you're going to start thinking about, do we want to pay Tyler Chatwood for next year? Do we want to do that? Want to sign him to a contract extension after it was such a disaster in the first year of his deal? Man, you know him. He's fixed himself. You've helped. And you know what he's like as a guy. You know what the work ethic is. You know what the arm strength is. It's uh, You'd have to consider it. You absolutely would have to consider it if he continues to pitch like this. That's for sure. If I'm him, you know, maybe I want to hit the free agent market and see what's out there for me. But he's found himself in a good situation. And it's working out very well after it worked out very, very poorly for a while. One of the guys that he's closest with on the team is Kyle Hendricks. They worked out together during the shutdown. They stayed out in Arizona together. They've worked together for the last couple of off seasons. And maybe you didn't know this. I mentioned it before the break. They're old friends. In high school, after their junior year in high school, Kyle Hendricks and Tyler Chatwood played on a baseball travel team together in Southern California called the Southland Shockers. They were teammates. Chatwood says, this is from a couple years ago, this article from Kerry Muscat over at MLB.com. Chatwood says, it was fun. 
their time together as prep players. To be back with him again is pretty cool. Then as new teammates, now in their third year as teammates in the major leagues together after being teammates for a travel team in high school. I love that. I have a sucker for that kind of thing. Absolute sucker for it. It's a nice story. Didn't you ever fantasize about you and high school buddies reconvening either on a team or in something else later in life and both being great? Well, Hendricks and Chatwood are getting a glimpse of that. Hendricks said that Chatwood was a really good hitter. He raked. We had a really good team. Doesn't seem that long ago, honestly, but it's been a while and a long road. Now to come back here together, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it is kind of funny. Pretty cool. Things are good right now for the Cubs team in terms of baseball. Concerns about Craig Kimbrell. We talked a lot about it earlier in the show. Um... When asked before the game yesterday, David Ross was noncommittal and asked after the game, said he still has some talking to do with Craig Kimbrell, that it's a work in progress. The conversations are ongoing. We'll see what it's going to be like day to day. Perhaps most telling, and I agree with Sean Anderson as he picked this little four or five second cut up, was when he was asked, is Craig Kimbrell still the closer? As far as if Craig's the closer. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Is he still the closer, David? Can we get back to that? As far as if Craig's the closer. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sound, sounds kind of like a no to me. So that's an issue. And the bullpen is an issue, as we know. What's not an issue is the performance of the offense, the performance of the Cubs in terms of the health and safety protocols in keeping COVID out of their clubhouse. Exemplary so far. And the way that they're getting along as a team, the way they are comporting themselves during the game, in the dugout, pitch to pitch, at bat to at bat. And when a nemesis, when a rival notices it and comments on it, it's worth listening to. This is the Reds broadcaster, former Cubs announcer long time ago, Tom Brenneman, noticing that the Cubs are a different bunch this year. High fly ball, well hit, deep right center field, and now they've scored in six straight innings. We thought earlier that Baez might have been pointing to Castellanos. I think it's become pretty evident they're pointing to their bullpen down the right field line every time they hit a home run. And look at this dugout. I mean, look, you can hate the Cubs. It makes no difference. But you've got to give it up to a team that is showing the kind of fire and passion and enthusiasm that they are showing. There's a lot of guys down there making tens of millions of dollars a year. And they're coming to the ballpark like they're playing for a high school team. And I don't say that in a negative way in any Mm -hmm. form or fashion. In fact, it's a compliment. And I'm sure a lot of people will probably get upset that you're saying something nice about the Cubs. But it is what it is. (laughs) I love that on many levels. It gives you a little window into what uh, guys like Tom Brenneman deal with in their minds when they're saying nice things about the opposition. And they're noted for not saying nice things about the opposition. Tom, the son of Marty. Um, oh, man, that's that's entertaining on a lot of levels right there. But, yeah, th- this is what's going on. We talked about it with Ron Coomer earlier. You can see it in the way they're going about everything. There's a level of attention and energy that is demanded from baseball, and it has to be relentless. And they've got it. Right now, that offense, those hitters especially, have it. Coombe says you can see it with the pitchers too. 
and can see with the position players that they're locked in when the pitchers are doing their thing. Every pitch. But do that. Next chance you get, and maybe it starts in a few minutes right here on 670 The Score. The next time you are listening to or watching a Cub game, listen to the dugout as much as you can. You can hear it right now. It is a rare treat and gift to be able to hear the kind of chatter. And even if you can't make out the specifics of it, you can hear the energy. You can hear the response to every pitch as guys are working the count. Guys are working the count and showing you something. Keep paying attention because they're locked in. They're mindful. So I believe in what they're doing so far. It's been really, really fun to watch, really fun to listen to, and we'll get to do it again. Thanks to our guest today on Hit and Run, Ron Coomer and Chris Kampka. Thanks to the great Sean Anderson, the phenom, for doing a great job, as he always does. Zach Zaidman is up next with Cubs pregame right here on 670 The Score. And then it's John Lester and Stephen Brault in less than an hour as Cubs baseball continues and hopefully the season continues. Have a great day, everybody. As far as if Craig's the closer. Um. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three, you bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.